Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 58 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about boiling our faith down to one simple thing. This is something I've had to do because my faith got extremely complicated, and I'll explain in this little lesson. I recently spoke at a conference, and two of my talks were on reclaiming your faith. I had mostly positive feedback, but I also had a little bit of kickback from people who weren't quite ready to hear some of the things that I had learned on my spiritual journey with Jesus. They, I think they were wondering if I was throwing out the Bible altogether, because I don't know if you believe submission is for all people, or if you think it's okay to break the Sabbath or get a divorce, then surely you are a heretic who no longer believes the Bible, right? Well, I work with emotional abuse survivors. More specifically, I work with female emotional abuse survivals. And even more specifically, I work with women of faith. Now, this niche of women are also dealing with spiritual abuse and brainwashing around the issues of God and the Bible and church and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ in our culture. So there's a lot of tangled up knots here. And it's hard to know which came first, the spiritual abuse or the emotional abuse. I think they're all wound up with one another. And to wake up to one is to wake up to the other one eventually. Now, I've talked about this in other places, so I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail here. But I grew up in a conservative Christian home. We were into the whole Bill Gothard thing. And I was a people-pleasing good girl who felt guilty if I even had an angry thought. I went to a Christian college. I taught in a Christian school. I went into full-time ministry. I got married and was a stay-at-home mom who had nine kids. I homeschooled. I had long hair, wore skirts, and baked whole wheat bread. And when Doug Phillips rose to power among the homeschooling folks, I bought every single teaching they sold. I was a member of John Piper's church, and I read every book he wrote. You guys, I was as brainwashed as they come. Now, waking up to all of that abuse and getting out took a long time. There was a lot of pain and mistakes, a lot of uncomfortable feelings, and tremendous loss. And... I think it was inevitable that I would take a hard look at the beliefs that had informed my worldview and all of my decisions up until that point, because those beliefs had created a life for me that was really, really screwed up, and I didn't want to live that way anymore. Now, I've watched a lot of people go through this same experience and make the decision to walk away from God completely. And I get it. I mean, if God is really powerful and loves us, but he just lets all this crap happen, then he isn't very good. And who wants to be friends with someone like that? No, thanks. There's too much cognitive dissonance there. I thought about it. I thought about walking away from God. But then I realized 
that I didn't really believe in that God anyway. Not really. The God I had spent my life loving and knowing wasn't anything like that. And that's where all my own confusion came from. The God that I loved, the God who loved me, I knew deep down inside he did not approve of what my ex-husband was doing or what the church was making it mean. I realized my problem wasn't God. My problem was the trauma I carried around inside of me that caused me to believe I needed the approval of people too. I knew I had God's approval. I wanted people to love and appreciate me too. So my healing has mostly revolved around this area of learning how to love and appreciate myself, how to take care of myself, and then how to let other people do and believe whatever they want to, and to be okay with that. So for me personally, I could not walk away from God. I had had too many incredibly inexplicable experiences with him over the course of my life. These were very personal experiences with him that I just couldn't deny. To deny that, to deny those things would be to deny part of who I was. And I was no longer going to throw myself or my experiences under the bus. This was my commitment. So I kept God. But now all the people were telling me that the Bible says this and the Bible says that. And you guys, I knew what the Bible said. But if it said what I knew it was saying then why did it seem to contradict itself in other places? Okay, just to give you a little bit of background on my own Bible understanding and knowledge, I grew up reading the Bible through every single year. For years and years and years and years, I went. I did numerous Bible studies on my own and in groups. I went to a Bible college where we, had, where we were certified in Bible. I taught in a Christian school, and one of the classes I taught was Bible. I went to so many different uh, workshops and seminars, and I the Bible was extremely important to me. But here's the thing. It was still kind of confusing to me because there were things that I didn't want to look at. I didn't want to think about them. It was just easier for me to take what other people said and take those things at face value. But here's something that, here's just one of many, many examples where the Bible seems to contradict itself. For example, why were there female leaders in the New Testament church? But also there's a verse that says that women are to be silent in the church. I've discovered that there are actually answers for each one of these things. I just wasn't aware of what those answers were. I never studied them. We don't know what we don't know. And that's why one of the most important things we can do for our personal development is to be open-minded and willing and eager even to learn new things. It doesn't mean we have to believe everything we hear but we may change our minds about a lot of things when we educate ourselves. Nobody knows everything, so we can't really pretend that we do or that someone else does. We don't, and neither do they. 
So I had to boil my faith down to something really simple that I could hang my hat on, a grid I could filter everything else through in order to help me make sense of my life and the world around me. And I decided that for me, that grid wasn't going to be the Bible. It was going to be Jesus Christ. The Bible actually says that Jesus is the Word of God in the first chapter of John. He is the embodiment the embodiment of God and the will of God and the path of God. Jesus Christ is love. He is truth. He is the path. Now things began to align themselves again with what I had actually experienced of the Creator in my life, over the course of my life. And bonus, I discovered there was a world of research and scholarship that had been kept from me in the cult-like environment that I had been immersed in my entire life. Now, when that cult excommunicated me, because that's what cults do with people who don't obey at all costs, it's a fear and control tactic, I was set free to explore this research and scholarship, and I discovered more of the heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And now I talk about some of that in my podcast and on my blog and in public, so I'm going to naturally get some kickback from those who are still immersed in that kind of thinking that I have already walked away from. And that's okay. It's totally okay. I do think, though, that there are two common errors to fall into for those of us who are on this crazy journey of healing from emotional and spiritual abuse. One error is the error that we're coming out of, and that's the error of black and white thinking, of walking by sight and by rules and by man-pleasing and by works instead of walking by faith and love. The error of believing that God is an abuser, and calling him a God of love even while he abuses. Okay, that's one error. And I think it's lazy thinking and lazy living. It's slapping a list of rules on the wall and rigidly living according to those specific rules. You guys, that doesn't require any faith. That doesn't require love or flexibility or any kind of internal effort at all. But the opposite of that is the, uh, is the other error. That's throwing the entire thing out altogether, which I also think is lazy thinking and lazy living. It's saying, well, the way I viewed God was all wrong, and I have no answers that make sense to me, so I'm just going to abandon it completely, rather than be open to wrestle and lean into the painful process of learning and studying and growing. So it's taking the list of rules and throwing them out the window. I think it's interesting because those with the list of rules will accuse people like me of throwing the rules out, and those who have thrown the rules out will accuse people like me of keeping the rules. So I don't really fit in much of anywhere these days. Well, actually, I I don't know if that's necessarily true. I, I think there are a growing number of us misfits, so I guess we fit in with the misfits, right? All right, I do have a new piece of paper on my wall, though, now, figuratively speaking. I have my grid, 
and it's got one word on it. L-O-V-E, love. Why? Because Galatians 5.14 says, the entire law is fulfilled in a single decree. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I've talked about this elsewhere too, but you cannot love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. So if you're throwing yourself under the bus all the time and feeling guilty and judging yourself and, and um, feeling under you know, feeling this big burden, you're going to do the exact same thing to other people. You're going to judge them. You're going to throw them under the bus. You're not going to be able to love them. To the degree that you love yourself is the degree that you will be able to love others. So how can you love others well? By loving yourself well. All right, I'm still working on this because I don't love others as well as I wish I did. And that just means that I'm really not loving myself as well as I wish, that, as well as I need to. Now, I have seen Christians at times, including me, breaking the law of God in the name of keeping the law of God. We all love to draw lines. It makes things so easy. I've read this actually, but where do we draw the lines? What about the lines? We need lines. But what I believe we actually need is to resist the urge to have every jot and tittle compartmentalized in neat little files. Got a problem? Simple. Just find the correct file drawer and folder, follow the instructions on the report, and ta-da, problem solved. Does that require wisdom? Does that require a day-by-day walk of faith with a holy, dangerous, gargantuan God? whose job is it anyway to make all the files and adjust them occasionally, depending on the whims of whoever is in charge at any given moment. The Pharisees took that job upon themselves and look where it got them. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith in destructive relationships called Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. And new for 2020, I've created a companion workbook for Is It Me? also available on Amazon. This workbook is like 11 power-packed therapy sessions to help you process through the important material you'll be learning from my book. These books are recommended by counselors and therapists all over the United States. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first chapter of my book and the first chapter of my companion workbook for free when you hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those two resources are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. And now let's get back to our episode. Let's imagine that we're sitting in a room drinking coffee together and carrying on polite conversation. In the middle of the room is a woman and child covered with black and blue marks. The child's arm is broken. The woman is staring off into space. They are dirty and scared. They're silent. But we all just sit and sip, softly and gently discussing our goodness amongst one another. Resting, just resting, Enjoying our Sabbath resting. 
So what I'm trying to do is grab that woman and child and wave my hands in front of the group and say, you guys, look, do you see what's going on? We've got to help these people. Something is seriously off kilter about the bunch of us sitting here resting while these two suffering souls are in our midst. Am I high on drugs here or what? Hello? All the ladies stop and stare with wide eyes and veiled annoyance. Some get up and walk out with a sniff. And then someone quietly murmurs, Don't you know? It's the Sabbath. Let God take care of the poor dears today. We know he loves them. Murmurs of approval ripple through the quiet crowd. Faces soften and relax. Sipping begins again. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Mark 3, 1-6 You guys, this is powerful. First of all, the Pharisees obeyed the law to the letter, but you can see that they don't have love. They're looking for a way to trap God and destroy him. They did it back then and they do it today. They have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. And God tells us to avoid those people in 1 Timothy 3.5. Now, did you notice God's reaction? He is angry. He's angry and grieved at the hardness of their hearts. Have you ever seen injustice and felt angry because it was approved of by all the Pharisees around you? Because the perpetrators had hard, unrepentant hearts with no evidence that they were going to change at any point in time in your lifetime, I've seen victims of abuse told that they shouldn't be so angry. Why the deep anger? That's not very loving and forgiving. Maybe if you were a better Christian, your abuser would leave you alone. If Jesus were in the room with those quiet, gentle, Sabbath-keeping women, what would he do? I think it's obvious from his word, and I can safely draw the conclusion that his emotion would be anger, because that's what the Bible teaches us. So when his children, made in his image and desiring to imitate him, feel a sense of anger stirring in their hearts over the abuses of theology that keep women and children in abusive homes, I don't believe God is wagging his finger at them in disapproval. I believe God wants us to apply a heart of wisdom. And sometimes that means questioning what we've been taught by other human beings. Now, is our anger mixed with sin? Well, probably. We're tainted creatures. But that doesn't mean we should never feel that emotion or let that anger put feet to our conviction in order to set captives free. 
Do you think those that fought against the atrocities of slavery or genocide or the murder of preborn babies did or do so with smiles on their faces and warm fuzzies filling their hearts? Come on, you guys. We're not in heaven yet. Life is messy. Throwing a floral rug over it is not going to make the mess go away. So for me, I refuse to betray myself and my creator by aligning either one of us with abusers, lies, and stupidity. I'm going to work to learn who I am and who my creator is by being open-minded, studying, listening, and selectively choosing to focus on truth that aligns with my new and very simple grid of love. I will also accept that I'll never get it all right. I'm not meant to. I'm meant to embrace my humanity and let God be God. I'm also meant to embrace the humanity of others and let them be who they are. Let them make their own choices and respect their right to do so. I'm also meant to take on the responsibility of making my own choices and respecting my own body, mind, and spirit that my creator has given to me to steward. This means that I can say no and not have to feel guilty. It means I can and will honor my body and the resources of my brain, my thoughts, my time, money, relationships, and work. I'm not meant to manage or take responsibility for the emotions and choices of others. They need to manage their own emotions and choices. You guys, this is love. This is the kind of love that Jesus had for himself and others. And it brings freedom and joy and peace. And that's what I want for each one of you. Until next time, fly free. Fly free.